Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring Front Page 305. All right, welcome to Front Page 305. This is your host, Walter Villa, and we're going to talk about the Marlins and the Panthers with Jessica Blaylock in our last segment today. And we also have FIU men's basketball coach Jeremy Ballard coming up. But first, there are swimming stars, there are tennis stars, but it's rare you find one person who does both. But that's exactly what describes our first guest, Hannah Elk-Smith, who's a junior at Fort Lauderdale's Pine Crest High School. Hannah, welcome to the front page. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Hannah, you started high school wearing, as I wrote about you recently in the Miami Herald, you, you were wearing a back brace that went from your hips to your chest. Tell us why you had to wear that and how you went from that to where you are today as a, as a two-sport star. Well, uh, I wore that brace uh, beginning my freshman year, first day of uh, high school, ninth grade. Um, I wore that for juvenile scoliosis, uh, which is a slight curve in your spine. And I knew I was going to be tall, just like my dad was. Um, So I wore that to make sure that my spine grew straight. And I kept that on for about eight months. And throughout that time, I was training uh, in both sports. I'm a swimmer and, like you said, a tennis player. Uh, I love both sports. And so that didn't really stop me from training. And we went on to get runner-up in that uh, state, in the state championships for the swim team. And uh, we also got, we got to compete in regionals um, for the tennis team. And we Going on from that, after uh, our freshman year, went on to sophomore year, and unfortunately, the season got postponed uh, for tennis, but we won the state championships in swimming, and I was on the state championship relay, so that was a really great experience, and then this year um, is where kind of my sports have really improved, and I've improved ranking-wise, and just had a great time doing it. I've gotten taller and shed the back brace. Um, this year yeah, we won the. Sorry? You're like you're five foot ten now, correct? Five ten, yes, sir. Five ten, and you're a junior. And that first year when you had to wear that back brace, and at Pinecrest is a beautiful school. It had stairs though. You had to go up and down the stairs. You had to carry your books around in a little luggage thing. What what did the what did the kids uh, say about you when you're? Imagine that's your first day at school and you show up like that. What what did the kids say? <laughs> so I was um I don't want to say embarrassed but a little shy about it uh the girl with the rolling backpack uh, but I kind of after the initial shock of having to use that and go through school with the back brace I kind of accepted it and uh it was fun people would put stickers on the back brace and um I used it for my student council platform uh to as the girl with the rolling back brace I mean with the rolling backpack um, so all my friends accepted it and really helped me out through the way when um, I needed help carrying up the stairs or wanted someone to go in the elevator with. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of stairs at Pinecrest, so that was um, fun figuring that one out. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge, it's a beautiful campus. I've been up there. Um, Anna, and this afternoon, in fact, you're playing uh, a tennis, you know, this is a regional playoffs, playing a regional semifinal this afternoon. So do you get nervous uh, before a match, excited? Uh, I get excited, especially when it's a team uh, team event. I don't get in tennis. We don't get to um, play as teams that often just for the high school season. So not even nervous, just really excited to go cheer on my team and support each other and lift each other up through the semifinal and hopefully to go to the um, regional final and move up on to state. Um, so right. it's really an exciting feeling to – uh, have that opportunity what sport you know can you talk about what you say you love them both what sport do you maybe enjoy a little bit more or what is it that you like about each is it one is harder than the other I imagine swimming uh, I've talked to swimmers throughout the years and this, the training can be monotonous and they say they just see that black line in the water again and again and again I would think tennis might be a little bit more fun but but you tell me yes so I actually get that question a lot which one I like better and I think they complement each other well even though uh, they're definitely different sports (laughs) Um, I think some of the most opposite sports they are but uh, they definitely complement each other well I love 
the competition in tennis, you're right right across from each other and you go a best time, still go um, get the cut you're looking for. Uh, and the training, like you said, is it's tedious and um, always it's a year-round sport for both, but in swimming it is a lot of yardage. Uh, in tennis, it's a lot of hours on the court. So I think that they're both um, physically demanding, maybe swimming a little bit more so. But um, I would say the mental part is the part that uh, is a little bit harder in tennis. Uh, it's a long match. And in the pool, it's only, for me, it's only about 23 seconds where I have to prove myself. Yeah, because you do. What's, what's your, your top event in swimming? So I'm a sprint freestyler, right. so the 50 free, the 100 free, and I really, I really got into the 200, the 200 back, 200 free. So I kind of do it all. I am gotcha. too. Gotcha. Um, and you, you come from an amazing family, Hannah. Um, your mom has a background, I think, early on in ballet and tap. Your dad was a linebacker at Duke. And tell us a little bit about your grandfather, Jack Hannah. That's the person you were named after, and he was a quite an amazing person. Yes, sir. I'm super proud of where my family's come from and especially proud of my grandfather, uh, Jake Hanna. I was named after him. Uh, he was a World War II prisoner of war. Uh, he was captured and held for two years in Germany, and he has a, just an incredible story. Um, and he's always, he's always shared that with me, and I always looked up to him. Um, not only as, you know, my grandfather and love him, but as a person and uh, someone I want to aspire to be like. Uh, he he's inspired me for what I want to do in my career and how I want to live up to his his name and his legacy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, a little more detail on that. Um, Hannah, he was, I think you told me he was uh, in a, and a fighter, he was a fighter pilot, I think, and he his plane got shot down, and he got stuck uh, in the trees when he when he when he hit the the uh, the eject and the parachute. Is that what happened? Yes, there it was. He got caught in um, gosh, there the line telephone lines um, got caught tangled, and the Germans cut him down and held him for two years. And until he was finally liberated um, and came back and told his story, uh, he helped a countless amount of people and uh, served his country well. I'm very proud of him. And he passed, um, I think he was, what, 95? Yes, yeah, sir. I think he was uh, 95, and that was three years ago. So uh, he definitely and lived a great life. So you got to have a lot of conversations with him, and uh, and then you were just—I think you were just 14—and you you gave the eulogy at at um, at his funeral. Yes, sir. Um, I traveled back up to North Carolina, where I'm originally from, um, and was at that service and did give the eulogy for him. Uh, my brother played the violin. That was. Wow. Yes, sir. It was. Um, a big thing to take on as a 14 year old. My dad helped me um, to write it and I still have the papers um, from that day. So it's definitely something I'll never forget. And I'm proud I was uh, able to do that. That's amazing, that amazing for just uh, such a young person, age 14, to give the eulogy at the, the funeral of a person you love very much, your grandfather. I didn't know that little detail that your brother played a violin. Uh, that must have been quite a, a special ceremony and acknowledging the life that he, he lived. Um, and, and Hannah, I know you're a great student. I think you have a 4.7 GPA. What, what are your thoughts on any further along on choosing a school, choosing a major? Where's your head at as you, as you embark, uh, you know, getting closer to, to making that decision? So I was actually thinking about um, how soon really that decision is probably gonna be made, but I'm still, really open to all the possibilities. I'm very excited for this summer to get to go visit uh, all the different schools that I'm looking at. Um, definitely look at the academies, but some other schools. 
mostly on the East Coast, but I might be able to go travel to the West Coast and um, check out some of those. I'd love to play both sports, um, but that's not decided yet in college. Um, so just just a lot of options, and hopefully I'll know by the end of the summer and get to make that announcement. <laughs> yeah, I'm very that, should be, that should be exciting. And uh, and you obviously you're not Hispanic, but you are taking Spanish classes. How's that going? <laughs> it's going well. I love my teacher. Um, definitely a little bit more practice is needed, um, but I've been taking them for a long time, and I've actually got. I've gotten a lot of experience talking to some of my friends, and um, <laughs> it's going well. It's one of the harder classes, but uh, I really enjoy it. And being bilingual is something that no one in my family's done, so that's definitely a goal of mine. And to be able to minor in Spanish um, in college would be awesome too. What can you tell us in Spanish as we're about to end this uh, segment, Hannah? You got anything uh, you can tell us? Um, bienvenido a Scrum Page 205. Um, muchas gracias um, para su tiempo. Muchas gracias a usted. Thank you so much, Hannah. We'll be right back with FIU men's basketball coach, Jeremy Ballard. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey, everybody. This is John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. Giving a big shout out to Slam Radio, the only student-run radio station that's all national. Awesome, guys. Congratulations. And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right. Welcome back to Front Page 305. This is your host, Walter Villa, and I'm joined now by... Jeremy Ballard, the head men's basketball coach at FIU. Coach, welcome to the front page. Hey, Walker. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Before we uh, talk about a, a variety of topics here, how are you feeling? I know you had COVID, uh, and I'm pretty sure you told me the other day you're feeling better, which I'm really thankful about. Tell me about your experience. I know it was kind of harrowing. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that. It, it it was certainly harrowing, and, you know, I want to preface this with saying I'm extremely fortunate and grateful because we we all know what a, uh, you know, decimating disease and viruses has been. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I have a pre-existing condition with asthma. Um, so when I first tested positive, I would say within about 24 hours or so, I got hit really hard. Um you know, was was bedridden for weeks. Um, you know, went to the urgent care, ended up going to the emergency room, got a chest X-ray, found out I had pneumonia as well. So, you know, I think the combination of asthma, uh, the, the coronavirus uh, with pneumonia, re really took me out. And um, you know, so it, it uh, you know it, it reminded me of the perspective I need to have on, on how deadly this virus can be. Well. God bless you, Coach. You, you're one of the nicest people in the business. I'm so uh, happy that you're that you're doing better and on the road to recovery. Um, and, and aside from being uh, a, a really great person, you're a hell of a basketball coach. Um, the first two years at FIU were the most successful um, they've ever had in, in, in that combination. You won 20 games the first year. You won 19, and the season was still going on when it ended with COVID. So you might have set the record. Uh, which I think is 21 for most wins in a season had had the season not been uh, prematurely ended by by the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, this past year was nine and 17, but there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. Can you talk a little bit, Coach, about just what the team went through in terms of I, I think half the team was missing uh, for a, for a long stretch of time. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your kind words on that, Walter. You you have been. Uh you know, an amazing ambassador for not only South Florida, but, you know, the South Florida sports world and, and appreciate all the conversations that we've had um, and, and certainly your kindness and integrity. So thank you. But um, yeah, you know, we, we're fortunate to, to really have a lot of success right out of the gate here. And, you know, that's due to the hard work of the players we had and, and our coaching staff. And, you know, just, just like so many programs this past year, 
Um, you know, the, the, the coronavirus hit us really hard. And, you know, we, we started out fast. I believe we were 7-2, and 8-3. and three. And, um, you know, we, we went through a stretch where, you know, we, we went through a month stretch where we had at least two, two starters out and sometimes three starters out. So, you know, it really kind of derailed us, um, you know, so things that were beyond our control. Uh, but but, but I, I do believe it, it it did open my eyes to, to things that w- we need to really focus on in this offseason, uh, both development-wise but also personnel decision-wise to, to make sure we're, we're in a place to get back to our successful ways and, and, and try to do things that have never been done before here at FIU. Now, last week, Coach, the, the signing period uh, started um, for basketball. Um, how many – recruits are you hoping to sign uh, when do you think there might be some announcements uh, I know you can't talk about specific players until they actually sign but can you give us a sense of how that's going yeah it's going well we we've actually uh, we've got I think five guys uh, signed right now uh, we're probably going to look to bring in at least three to four more other guys so you know, my, my staff has been diligently at work to, you know, bring in the, the right kind of FIU guys, our, our kind of guys um, that, that, that can, again, get us back to, you know, right where we were. You know, the, the year where COVID cut us short, we felt like, we, you know, we had a, a great shot, a better shot than most, and, and as good a shot as any of winning the Conference USA Championship that year. And uh, we, we want to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a position to do that again this season. Um, so we're, we're hard at work finding the right guys and, and uh, should hopefully be hearing some uh, announcements here, a lot of announcements here in the coming weeks. Okay, I was just going to ask, so you, you're not at liberty yet to, is, uh, to announce the five that have signed, correct? Yeah, so guys are in the process of signing all of their papers and, and things now, but it will certainly be uh, official here very soon for, for a number of these guys. Well, that's super exciting to know you've got five, um, you know, committed and three or four more. So bringing in eight or nine recruits, that's, uh, that's exciting to know all that talent, but it's also going to be a challenge for you, coach, not that you're not up to it, but integrating all those guys into a team, it's a team sport, obviously. So that's going to be really interesting when you have that many new players. For sure. And, you know, it, it's kind of been like that each year for us that we've been here. Um, now this past year, what made the degree of difficulty so, so much harder is the fact that due to COVID protocols and such, you know, we couldn't get our team together for, for a very, uh, until a very late period. Um, but, you know, this year, we, you know, we anticipate um, that we're going to be able to have the entire summer with our entire team together. And, and that's going to be critical in terms of building our system, uh, building our, our togetherness and, and building our culture. Now you're from East Atlanta coach and, Grew up in a, as part of a loving family. Uh, I, I wrote about this last year. Your father is white. Your mom is black. They're happily married still today, which is awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like um, growing up in at least East Atlanta under those circumstances for yourself? Yeah, no, yeah, um, that, that was an uh, amazing article that you wrote. Uh, my entire family was very thankful of it and grateful that you would take take the time to write that. But yeah, you know, I, I grew up in East Atlanta at a different time than what Atlanta is now. Um, you know, East Atlanta was certainly inner city, um, certainly some extremely rough parts. Um, you know, there, there was no diversity. Um, you know, my, my daddy was, was the only um, white person in the, in the whole neighborhood. Um, the only white person I think most of the people in the neighborhood had ever met or known. Um, you know, again, it, Atlanta in the 1980s is not what it is now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a unique perspective. But, uh, you know, my daddy was a high school was a local high school teacher and and he was beloved, um, as was my as was my mama, who grew up in East Atlanta as well. So, you know, we, we although it was rough around us, you know, there, there was a lot of familial elements to growing up in East Atlanta then and. Um, you know, it, it, it was a great experience that shaped who I am and, and you know, uh, shaped my perspective on a lot of things. Yeah, I think you told me a story that um, I think it was their first date. They went to a local tavern and somebody said some made some comments about them being, uh, you know, mixed race couple. Uh, fill in the rest of those blanks there on that, on that story, coach. 
Yeah, so it, it's actually a, a um, especially locally, a, a renowned tavern, Manuel's Tavern, uh, very famous to locals. It's, it's an awesome place. But yeah, I, I, they went. On, I didn't know. I didn't, and I did not know this story until um, the, the full story until you actually wrote about it. But yeah, I guess you know, the, uh, one of the owners of, of the place, um, you know, intervened, jumped all jumped all over the guy. I mean, literally, physically. And that was that. And, and from that place on, you know, I think my parents were like, hey, this is a place where we can be accepted. Um, and, and that's been one of their favorite eating watering holes ever since. And, um, you know, they, they, they've taken us as a family to, um, you know, this tavern more, more times than I can count. And um, it certainly holds a special place in their heart and a lot of people's hearts who, who are, you know, born and raised in Atlanta. Yeah, and, and because when you would go to certain parts of Georgia where your dad's family lived and, you know, obviously a white family and you you learn how to live sort of in that environment and your mom's side, it was a different environment. How did, you know, what did that do for you in terms of that maybe even can be helpful to us as we as we talk about race and such a, such a big part of America's story? you know, the fact that you would go back and forth, what, what'd you learn from, from that experience? Yeah. I mean, just how different you can be seen, um, from, from, you know, each kind of world, you know, like, uh, again, I grew up in a neighborhood where there was absolutely no white people. So, you know, me being light skinned was, was essentially like being white in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, they were of course, uh, you know, accepting and loving to my best friends in the world. And obviously I grew up with family around me as well. But, you know, there was that, that, there was that side to the black side. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously, I, you know, I'd go to like where my, my, my uh, father's grandparents lived and, you know, white neighborhoods. And, and of course, you know, you, you were seen as black and that was just kind of it. So um, you just kind of learn how different those worlds are um, and, and how, how race is uh, perceived through, through the lens of, of both black blacks and whites, um, especially during, you know, 1980s and nineties, you know, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So that, that, it, it gave me a great perspective, um, you know, allowed me to just kind of know how to, uh, be myself in, in, in both of those environments. And, and essentially that's what I just learned is that you have to be yourself, you know, you can't try to be, you know, um, a certain person around white people, a certain person around black people, you just, just got to be yourself. And, 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 and there's so many accepting and loving people in this world that, that that's going to work out fine when you do that. And, um, yeah. you know, I had, yeah, yeah. I had great examples in my parents. Oh, people. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I was saying I had great examples in my parents, um, of people who, you know, um, could, 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 you know, could fit in and, and make everyone feel comfortable and be comfortable in, in any setting. So, you know, that, that certainly helped me as, you know, I've, I've gone through life and, and it certainly helped me in coaching and, and, you know, you know, be, being, you know, uh, willing and, and able and capable of, you know, re- recruiting all kinds of young men from diverse backgrounds. Yeah. You said, um, you know, about race, it should, it shouldn't matter, you know, probably I'm hoping after someday, maybe after I'm gone, it won't matter. Um, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but as of right now, it's a factor in America, in American life. And there's a lot of good people, like you mentioned, but there's also obviously people that are racist out there. And that's just the reality. And I, when I wrote that, that story was, I think it was in June of last year. It was shortly after George Floyd had been murdered. Um, there was a lot of protests and you had gotten on Twitter and um, you really, you know, really had some powerful messages on, on race. And I remember one of them just off the top of my head was saying that, you know, it's like now, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing coaching, you can do a better job probably of it, but saying that, you know, in some ways it's encouraging that more people in America, more white people are seeing uh, black lives matter, but that black Black lives have always mattered. They always should have mattered. And that's, you know, even 400 years ago, um, 100 years ago, 20 years ago, you mentioned Martin Luther King, et cetera. I, I'm not doing as good a job as you could do, Coach, but but talk a little bit about that in terms of what you wrote on Twitter and the reaction that, that you got. Yeah, well, the, I, I appreciate, again, you, you know, you bringing this up and um, 
you know, it's something that, uh, you know, obviously race relations in America, especially growing up in the South, um, you know, sons of a, uh, a son of a, a mixed couple, you know, it's something that's been present in my life, you know, uh, since I was born. Um, and, you know, coaching a, you know, a group of young men who, you know, are all considered, you know, minorities are all come from, you know, all either black or, you know, Latino or come, come from disadvantaged communities, um, you know, seeing what happened and it's been happening for years and decades and centuries, you know, obviously speaks to my heart. And, um, you know, um, so I had a couple of players that really encouraged me to, because, you know, we would speak about these things a lot and, and, you know, we'd have a lot of heartfelt um, conversations uh, amongst our own basketball family, but they, you know, they, they really wanted me to put something out there for the world and, uh, and, and I did. And, um, you know, it, it just spoke to the frustration of, of you know, what, what this world and, and how harsh it can be, what it means for the young men that are in my program, what it means for them, you know, riding down the street and, and, and what a, um, how a routine stop by a police officer can be anything but routine and, you know, what it could mean for my seven-year-old son as well. So, you know, I, I really spoke to those things. I really spoke uh, uh, as well to the hope of, um, I, I think, all of us coming together. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of wonderful things happen, um, you know, in this past year, but we also see um, a lot of signs of the progress that is still needed as well. It's interesting that um, when I wrote that, it was, uh, as I mentioned, shortly after the murder of George Floyd, and here we are today, the jury is deliberating on whether the police officer will be found guilty or not. Where is your head at, Coach, now as, as that verdict could come at any moment? Yeah, I, I mean, my head is obviously with his family. Um, you know, my, my, my head is with all the people that were so severely impacted um, by what happened. Um, you know, I, I think if you follow the trial at all, you, you saw the severe trauma that, that, that has taken over so many of the people that were there, that were the live witnesses, that were involved in what happened. Um, and, and, and my head and heart is, is with our country, um, is, is with our, um, you know, young blacks, um, young Latinos, uh, you know, young Asian Americans, um, all these people that, um, you know, ha ha are faced with a different set of circumstances and, and different set of difficulties that, that they, they have to face coming up in this country. And, you know, how hopefully, you know, we're getting to a place where, where we can finally get to a reckoning of uh, of the many transgressions that, that have happened against other races. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful that um, justice will be served. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm hopeful that uh, a healing process can begin from this justice being justice being served, and that we can continue to try to heal and grow together as a country. Yeah, I think one of the keys in all of this has been the advent of the video camera, starting with Rodney King so many years ago. If that hadn't been filmed, a lot of white America wouldn't have believed it. Um, and then now when everybody has uh, a video camera on their phone, we're seeing, because again, the, the first inclination, at least in certain segments of the population is to believe the police officer. And if it's just a police officer's word against um, the person they're attempting to arrest, that usually doesn't go well for the other person. But now with, you know, these things being videotape, there's the body cam that the police officer are, are wearing. I think now you're going to see more awareness because now people will say, wow, okay, I didn't know, I didn't realize that was happening. I didn't realize how far, uh, you know, they're taking police officers on some occasions taken. I have to believe that most police officers are good and honest and, 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 and wonderful people. And it's not about those. It's about the ones that overstep their bounds. So I guess my question, coach, is what, you know, and you're, Bottom line, you're an educator, you're a basketball coach, you're coaching these kids, you, you want to win basketball games, but you're also coaching them uh, in, in, in the game of life, per se. So, you know, what can all Americans do? How, how, do we, how do we navigate this? How do we bridge this divide? How do we become just one America instead of a divided country? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and one that, um, you know, has spoiled us for, for centuries. And, you know, I, I feel like progress has been made, but, um, you know, I, I do feel like there's a, a backlash to that progress as well. But, you know, I, I think there has to be an acknowledgement, um, uh, you know, a respect level, uh, an, an empathy level, towards the fact that even though we are one country, we are a melting pot and, and that there's a lot of different cultures and, and creeds and religions that make up this one country and that, you know, we, we, we need to be loving and, and um, you know, accepting of all of these people and, and, you know, understanding of, of what their histories are and, 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 and how those histories have brought us to where we're at today. So, um you know, the, the world is, you know, the world is, you know, vicious in a lot of ways, you know, the, 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 the political, the, the political system, the justice system, um, social media, uh, media in general, like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a contentious time in so many ways, but um, as, as sure as all these platforms can add to that, con, you know, contentious um, encounters, those, those platforms can certainly serve to, help us grow together and come together and, and, and uh, bond together as well. I, I really believe the main thing that we have to have as a collective is empathy. Um, and, and, and empathy goes both ways. Um, you know, I know some of the Dolphins football players, for example, have gone on ride-alongs with police officers. And if those, those athletes, for example, get to know what a police officer goes through on a daily, that information is really helpful. And vice versa, if the police officers really get to know and have empathy for what happens in the communities and the reasons why things are the way they are, I think it will help them. And, and that goes, uh, you can spread that message in any way in between, say, media and, and coaches, for example. That can sometimes be contentious as well. But if the, if the media understands more what the pressures a coach has to go through and the coach understands what the pressures a media member has to go through, even... Um, you know, I've been an editor and I've been a writer, so it helps me to have that understanding what each side does. What is what's the pressures an editor has to go through and the deadline and the time and what he's looking, he or she's looking for. Same thing for a writer. How hard is it to get the story and to get quotes and this and that and everything. So the more information we get about each other and really empathize and really like, can you put yourself in the shoes of that other person? If you go through that mental exercise. I think the world will be a, a better place and maybe that's nirvana and maybe that's not possible. But I think the more we can do that, I, I think the, the better off we'll be. But I, I couldn't agree more that that's so extremely well said. And, and, you know, we're going to get an understanding of more than just our own experiences, um, you know, evolving that understanding to empathy um, that, that, that could solve so so many of our problems. Um, and, and, and not to mention that, you know, that the understanding and empathy of what someone else's background means to them helps us understand ourselves better as well. Um, and, and, um, I, I do think that these things are, are attainable. Um, I, I do feel that we have a lot of people that, that are working hard to try to make these things happen. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to be on the, uh, in the fight in a good way. Absolutely. Well, Coach, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know recruiting everything like that, but to be on the show, I appreciate it. You know, uh, we're friends for life. I appreciate you always. And uh, you can come back anytime also. Oh, well, Walter, thank, thank you for having me. This is truly a pleasure and an honor for me. Um, South Florida is extremely fortunate to, to have you representing them and, and your perspective on the world and your perspective on sports um, is truly unmatched. And, and I'm fortunate and lucky to call you a friend. So thank you so much, Walter. All right, brother. I appreciate it. We'll be right back with Jessica Blaylock to talk Florida Panthers and Miami Marlins. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey everybody, this is John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls, giving a big shout out to Slam Radio, the only student-run radio station that's all national. Awesome guys, congratulations. 
And now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right. Welcome back to Front Page 305. This is your host, And our next guest is Jessica Blaylock, who hosts Florida Panthers and the Miami Marlins telecast on Bally Sports. Jessica, welcome to the Front Page. Thanks so much for having me. Great to join you guys today. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this. And before we talk Panthers and Marlins, let's uh, get a little bit about your background, Jess. Uh, where are you from and how did you get into sports broadcasting? Did you do, ever do any jobs outside of TV or radio or is this always it? Yeah, I, you know, originally uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. So I'm a native Floridian. Uh, grew up in a household that loved sports, you know, both my mom and my dad. There, there were always sports on television. I swam competitively for 10 years growing up. I played volleyball, played basketball in middle school. So sports were always just a huge part of my life. I, I took a journalism class when I was in seventh grade and fell in love with it, fell in love with TV production. Um, new in high school because I, I was obsessed with the Gator basketball team that made it to the national championship game. I think it was in 2000, the 2000-2001 season. They lost to Michigan State in the final game um, and decided, you know, that's, that's when I, I thought it would be a lot of fun to get to cover a sports team. So I went to the University of Florida, immediately declared journalism as my major, took every opportunity I possibly could to volunteer in sports, covering sports, any opportunity that was, you know, had anything to do with sports and uh, had a chance to work for ESPN behind the scenes straight out of college, which was awesome. Uh, my crew was very supportive of me, would shoot things for me around different college campuses, sent a resume reel to, at the time, Fox Sports Florida. They gave me a chance over 10 years ago, and the rest is history. Awesome. I can't believe it's been 10 years. I think I remember when you started coming to the Marlins uh, games man that's 10 years oh god I'm so well it, so this is actually my seventh season of Marlins baseball uh okay. but for five years before that I worked for Fox Sports Florida covering the NBA so and then before that my first ever assignment with them was actually high school basketball state finals so it's been it's been actually over 10 years since I've been with Fox Sports Florida now Bally Sports um yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's been an unbelievable ride. High school state finals in Lakeland. Is that where you went? Yes, (laughs) that's exactly it. (laughs) I always love covering that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. Uh, It was a ton of work, obviously, because you don't know who the teams are until about 48 hours before they play. So you're Mm -hmm. studying a bunch of different teams. You're researching teams that may not even make it to the finals. But it was a great first assignment to teach me you know, the importance of being prepared, the importance of putting in hard work and, uh, and just having fun on camera. Now, did you do much writing, Jess? Not so much writing. I did write a a Jaguars blog when I worked for a local sports uh, radio station in Jacksonville, but I've never really done a ton of writing. It's always been um, the on-air route, whether it's been TV or whether it's been radio. Gotcha. Now I'm wondering what you got for your 20th birthday, Jessica, and uh, I think you'll figure out why I'm asking you that. And that's because uh, Spencer Knight, the Florida Panthers first round pick, (laughs) just turned 20 years old yesterday. And tonight he's going to start his first NHL game. Uh, Was your present for 20? Not that's not that wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. You know what? My 20th birthday was 18 years ago. So honestly, I don't even remember what I got for my 20th birthday. I love chocolate. I'm sure I got, you know, chocolate in some capacity. But uh, yeah, that birthday for me was a while ago. So I, well, I don't really yeah. remember it well. But Spencer Knight will never, ever forget his his birthday. It was yesterday. Had the opportunity to participate in warm-ups for the Florida Panthers last night. He's going to get his first NHL start tonight. So I can't imagine any better way to spend your birthday than uh, getting the opportunity to live out your dream. Well, I can't wait to watch that. I'm going to tune in. I hope everybody tunes in to, w- to watch you uh, host uh, um, the telecast and, and, and the Panthers have been having a great season. Uh, by the way, my 18th birthday, I don't, or my 20th birthday, rather, I don't remember either. I was born in the early 1800s, Jessica, in a log cabin. <laughs> See, it's been a while for both of us then. <laughs> right, right. I don't remember. But 
Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Panthers. Um, that's going to be the storyline tonight. But beyond that, uh, Carter Verhage's been injured. Aaron Ekblad has been injured. And yet they keep winning. How, what have you noticed about how they've adjusted and, 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 and to have this, you know, really a breakthrough season? Yeah, well, I think the thing that really stands out is, you know, number one, the Panthers embracing that next man up mentality. And then number two, just coming into the season, having a lot more balance on all four lines so that you're not counting necessarily on just the top line to carry you offensively. You know, they're, they're going to be without Aaron Ekblad for the rest of the season. Um, right. And even throughout their playoff run, um, you know, Carter Verhage is out for a little bit. Mackenzie Weger right now, day-to-day, Nolachari day-to-day. They had to play without Alexander Barkov and Patrick Hornquist at one point. Anthony Duclair had missed time. Um, so they've, over the past several weeks, you know, really, really had to battle through the injury bug. But they've, they've done a fantastic job of guys just stepping up and, you know, carrying the load. Um, I think they were 4-2 and two without Barkov, maybe 4-0 and oh without Hornquist. Uh, right. So... You know, it just speaks to the way the team knows, you know, you're not counting on just one or two guys to get it done every night. It's 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 a different hero stepping up on any given night, whether it's Frank Petrano, who scored two goals last night, whether it's Jonathan Huberto, you know, whether it is Anthony Duclair, whether it's um, Patrick Hornquist, whether it is Alex Wenberg, uh, who had a hat trick this season, whether it is Nolachari, who had a hat trick this season, you know, it's, it's been a different guy every, every game. And, um, you know, I, I think that just speaks volumes to what Bill Vito did during the off season. You know, some of the players that he brought in, the way that Joel Quenville has been coaching, um, and it just, you know, it speaks to the depth that this team has this season that maybe they haven't necessarily had in the past. When you look into your crystal ball, Jessica, how, how far do you think the Panthers will go? What do you, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, I mean, there's no denying that, uh, the first round matchup in the central division is going to be tough because the way it's set up right now. Um, unless the Panthers win the division, which is going to be a really tight race down the stretch with Carolina and Tampa. Um, and there's certainly, you know, there's certainly a possibility that the Panthers could win the division. Um, but if not, they're going to play either Tampa or Carolina in that first round. And Tampa, they've played really well against this season, just, you know, beat Andre Vasilevsky this past Saturday night. Um, it's been a good matchup for them. Carolina, on the other hand, it's been tough. You know, they only have one win against Carolina this season. So the Hurricanes have kind of been that team that's had their number. Um, so there's no denying that, you know, whether you get Carolina, whether you get Tampa, it's going to be a tough first-round matchup. Um, but, you know, again, going back to the depth of this team, going back to the way that uh, they've had, you know, not just Sergei Bobrovsky, Chris Rieger, but hopefully Spencer Knight stepping up tonight. So they've gotten good goaltending throughout the course of this season. You know, defensively, they've been a lot tougher to play against this year. So realistically, I absolutely believe the Florida Panthers can make a deep playoff run. They are built for it this year. And um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if we're still looking up, you know, in late May, early June and, these Florida Panthers are still in action. Yeah, no, they've, they've had a, a great season. They also made some some sort of deadline moves there, the trade deadline. And um, right. I don't know who you like the best, Jessica, maybe Bennett? Well, Sam Bennett is quickly becoming a fan favorite, uh, without a doubt. You know, especially the other night, uh, Anthony Duclair gets hit high, a little bit of a dirty hit, and Sam Bennett jumps right in, sticking up for his new teammate. Uh, got his first point as a Panther on Saturday night, got his first goal as a Panther last night. So Sam Bennett, you know, a guy that I think is really going to thrive from a change of scenery. Brandon Montour, who, um, you know, an offensive-minded defenseman who's going to help fill that void left behind by Aaron Ekblad. Um, and Nikita Gustav has, has looked really good, you know, early on for the Panthers. So all three of these guys were great pickups great pickups by Bill Zito and the Florida Panthers at the trade deadline, and they're going to make a significant impact down the stretch as well. Now let's switch gears because you not, not only have to be on top of the Panthers, which you are, but you have to be on top of the Marlins, which you also are. <laughs> I want to 
one of the things that I've enjoyed is watching the telecast is that pick this stick and all Marlins fans will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. All broadcasters pick a player that they think, and there's a uh, sort of uh, intense uh, series of things that they can do to earn points and subtract points if they strike out and what have you. But uh, Kelly Sacco, your colleague, uh, she keeps <laughs> Starling Marte, now Starling apparently is injured. I haven't really read to see the, the severity of it, but what is your girl Kelly going to do if uh, Starling is out for an extended amount of time? I know. It's a great question, and I think J.P. Aaron Stevia actually over the weekend in that series against the Giants had the pick right before her and uh, very sneakily took Starling Marte. Uh, oh, I think it's both a defensive move to make sure that Kelly couldn't get him, but also just, you know, obviously the way that, that Marte has started out the season, he's been fantastic. Um, so, I, I, you know, yeah, I, know. I, I think he did that for either Saturday or the series finale Sunday. Um, I was wondering, yes, Jessica, so, everybody laid off on, on Starling, and uh, there was some kind of a treaty but apparently not. Apparently you can take Starling Marte other than Kelly Sacco. I know. Well, and here's, here's the best part about it. I, you know, sometimes get to pick for the host position and sometimes I'll get to pick for the sideline position. So it actually works out great for me if Kelly's having success too, because I get to kind of play both angles. If team host uh-huh. is going well, then my allegiance is to team host. If team sideline is doing well, then I can easily switch up my loyalty is to team sideline and the same for hockey when we do light the lamp. Um, so it's a lot of fun and, and we certainly have a lot of fun with that as well. Starling Marte, I believe the Marlins announced that it um, is a rib injury. Uh, so he, you know, I, I have not seen, so I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say the wrong thing for as far as how long he's going to be out. Um, but uh, but Kelly is is working the game tonight. Craig Minervini and I'm sure they will have all of the updates for you on the Marlins live pregame show. Uh, while I continue to be back on hockey duty for right. this week, I'm going to be switching back and forth as I'm sure a lot of fans are. Well, let's get a couple more questions about the Marlins before we have to wrap up today, Jessica. Um, uh, Sixto Sanchez was so in- impressive last year, um, started this year on the injured list. Right. Um, what are you hearing about him and how much better will the Marlins be? They're on quite a run right now, but if they get him, he was so dominant in the rotation last season. Right. Well, and this was kind of an interesting uh arrival for Sixto this year because he got to spring training. I believe he had a false positive test for COVID So he actually was delayed to start spring training. And then, you know, after the late start to spring training, uh, was dealing with the injury in his throwing shoulder. Um, So that set him back for the start of the season. So the good news is Sixto has been on a throwing program for a while now. So hopefully we see him back uh, sooner rather than later. But, of course, I mean, Sixto, you know, we saw what he's capable of. We saw him make his debut debut last year so much fun so much excitement surrounding every start especially when a guy can register you know triple digits on the velocity gun um but I think the big thing for Sixto this year you know he started out really hot last season but then when he started seeing the same team for the second and third time you know the league makes adjustments to you right you may have the upper hand when you first get called up but then the league is going to they're going to learn how to adjust so, and I think that's the big key for Sixto heading into this year. We know he's got the stuff. There's no question about that. But can he learn to make the in-game adjustments and the adjustments when you start seeing an opponent the second, third, fourth time around? I think that's going to be the big key for Sixto. But I love, 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 you know, when you drive to the ballpark and you know Sixto is going to be on the mound that day, it reminds me so much of the excitement that surrounded when Jose Fernandez would take the mound. I think you see that same kind of enthusiasm knowing, you know, you're going to get to see Sixto pitch that day. So, um, you know, hopefully everything continues to go well with his throwing progression and, uh, and hopefully we see him in that Marlins rotation sooner rather than later. That's saying quite a lot, Jessica. I won't say it's quite there yet because the Jose experience was incredible. And I remember also what a terrific hitter he was. And I remember the the, the thing when we hit the home run against, I think it was the Braves and running the – Yeah, yeah. 
and I and I and I think six zero is terrific. I don't know that it's quite to that level, but I get your point. The other guy that I really like in that rotation that maybe hasn't gotten enough love is Trevor Rogers. I think I think I like his stuff even more than Sandy. Uh, and Sandy, I know, has, has, has been really good. But that's what that franchise is built around, all those young arms. And I know there's more to come. Who, who would you say, Jessica, at the alternate site this year might make an impact that's down there now? I don't know, Amante Harrison? Might we, might, might we see J.J. Blade? Well, that's who I was going to say was J.J. Blade. I think that is the guy that, you know, we're all excited about seeing his big league debut. And You know, the tough thing for the Marlins last year was losing out on a minor league season, right? I mean, it was tough for all teams around the league, but I think especially the Marlins because they have done such a tremendous job building up their farm system. You know, it really hurt to lose a a season of minor league baseball and a season of these guys continuing to develop. Um, But I think J.J. Blade is kind of that guy that I've got circled that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him compete on the big league level. Obviously, you know, spent um, uh, his full college years at Vanderbilt. The SEC is such a competitive league when it comes to college baseball. Um, And he's a guy that, that looks, you know, he looks the part. He's got the talent. He had the numbers in college. Um, and I think I think Marlins fans are going to have a lot of fun watching him. So that's the one that I'm really looking forward to. Jessica, thanks so much for coming on here and sharing your knowledge with the Panthers and the Marlins. Just like I do sometimes with my writing that I blow deadline. I have blown deadline. We're on the show. <laughs> thanks so much for doing this. And we'll be watching you tonight. All right. Thanks so much. The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio. I adopted Bento in 2010 from a shelter. This cat makes me make art. He's always motivating me to draw pictures of him. He just is motivating artistically. He's my best friend, but a lot of people know him as Keyboard Cat. Keyboard Cat, YouTube star and shelter pet. Amazing adoption stories start in shelters. Start yours today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. This is TJ Holmes with Good Morning America, and you are listening to Slam Radio. Slam Radio is proud to present the Slam Rundown on SiriusXM Channel 145. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Slam Radio XM. With this whole COVID-19 pandemic going on, it's been raising a lot of questions. One of the most common being, will we be back in school by August? The way I see it, I think we will, because two months is a good amount of time, enough to see a lot of improvement. I know when I go outside, I see a lot of people wearing masks, wearing the correct protection, and honestly, that just makes me feel... The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.